step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. <laughs> Good morning, everybody. This is Alex Dolan. You're listening to Thrill Seekers. We are part of Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. And today I am joined by Cheshire Burke, who uh, I uh, read the, the story collection called Let's Play White a couple months ago and loved it. And I really wanted to talk to her. And Cheshire, thank you for, for taking the time and coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Alex. Um, so <laughs> for starters, <laughs> um, I, you, so I read that you uh, did a thesis on Storm from the X-Men. <laughs> I did. So I did, let's yes. Let's start with that. So, okay. So how do, you, how do you unpack that character? Well, it, it wasn't easy <laughs> because there's so much material, right? Right, right. So basically what I did was I took a couple of the, uh, a couple of the comics and I kind of looked at at what point she's empowered and at what point she's not being empowered. Huh, and okay. ironically, yeah, ironically enough, I found that she was not empowered in a lot of ways, especially when she was um, married to Black Panther, of all things in the world. <laughs> so uh, I didn't know that was a sub story. I didn't know that was one of the stories. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess not one of the better ones. <laughs> yeah, when she was, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I'm, I, I, I won't say, I won't say it's not. I just will say they didn't last very long, <laughs> and um, there was a reason for that. Yeah. Well, I, I'm not a. I, it's funny because I didn't read many comic books growing up, but my brother collected X Men specifically, so like I was familiar with. Storm was actually like a very prominent character for me growing up. Like I guess it was that that era of the the series, and um, so I always like that was always one of my my favorite characters. And um, I uh, so I, I yeah, and I thought she was she had an interesting background, and I thought mm-hmm. um, yeah, I I was uh, I was curious what what you made of her when you kind of like thought about. Um, so it was just in terms of of empowerment um when when was she empowered um well i guess i would say that she was mostly empowered when she's working for um her people specifically um one of the things that i would say she's least empowered when she's doing when she's working solely for x-men the agenda in the way that i looked at it the the agenda of x-men where she is working 
in a way to uphold the status quo yeah. is not as beneficial for her, especially, you know, when the way she grew up and, to, and with the things that she, um, the way that she understands or should understand the world, you know, and of course it depends on the writers, right? Um, but the way that she should understand the world and the way that she does uphold the status quo when she's working with the X-Men is sometimes problematic. That makes sense. And, and actually, I don't know if this is true, and maybe you you uh, dig, dug in a little bit deeper than I did, but I'm, I've read in places where that specific series was in a way a metaphor for the civil rights movement. Um, and so I always thought that was kind of an interesting take on it. Yeah, it is. Um, I have read, um, and I believe that it's been verified that um, Xavier is Martin Luther King right. and um, Magneto it's is Malcolm X. Uh, it's Malcolm X. Yeah. Now, it's, it's, interesting, it's interesting, right? Um, interesting to look at it. And it is two different ways. Um, <laughs> those are, you know, those are really two different characters. But if you don't really know the real history of civil rights movement, Malcolm, uh, Malcolm X was absolutely uh, uh, an empowered character. I think right. Magneto is such, right? I am a totally, I support Magneto until he goes crazy, you know, you know, totally crazy and he's ready to burn everything down. Right, but right. But what's, what's interesting is that, um, what's interesting is that Martin Luther King was not as passive at all as Xavier is. And um, the character is drawn, uh, uh, drawn, and written in a way that is not really in line with a lot of Dr. King's later ideologies. And many people don't understand that. Yeah, that's a fair point. That's interesting. Okay. Um, yeah, and it's also like having, you know, this is my, like, my cursory knowledge of of the X-Men series. We yeah, yeah. I, I, we can totally get off this in a second because I want to talk about your actual writing. I just thought, okay. like, I was like, oh, that's I, I remember doing, I actually loved to tackle similar research projects uh, when I was in school that were, because um, I, I think entertainment in, in any of its forms and, or storytelling, like comic books are just another way of storytelling. Like all, there's a lot of things that, that, play out in um you know that are relevant cultural touchstones that play out in in popular media and so i i was really a fan of kind of having discourse about what these things actually mean to us because they're mirrors back on on our lives and and our world um right and so but then i have hardcore history professors that are like why aren't you writing about winston Winston churchill or something (laughs) right exactly (laughs) So I, exactly. I was. I just thought it was really refreshing that you would like choose a the like a thesis topic like that. But yeah. let's yeah. get into the so Cheshire Burke for people listening. Um, I, I love your I love your short stories, and I think I might have initially been exposed to you through the Nightmare Magazine, and I was and I thought, okay. oh, this is really cool. And that's when I was like, I need to read more by you. And that's when I read Let's Play White. Um, but for people listening. Can you talk a, bit, a little bit about um, 
that that story collection and what you're doing there? Okay, so the short story collection, Let's Play White, um, basically is a bunch of different stories that are dealing with um, race, gender, and class. And um, each of the stories go about telling whatever particular whatever particular thing there in a very different way. Many people would say it was dark, and I think I did get that a lot. Um, but I would I. I'm known to write in a lot of ways magic realism. So what you have is a fantastical element here, sometimes even a talking rat. That I, lo I love your talking rat. Yeah, <laughs> and, like, and for, for people listening, and this is a show where we talk about thrillers and that's a big umbrella that encompasses a lot of different kinds of writing. But, right. and so you're like, so you're writing about things that are that do have magic realism you you know like in my like as i read it i read it as like sophisticated socially relevant horror um but like but i just want to like for people listening you know this is you're, you're very much writing this unique voice where you're not you're not writing literary fiction you're writing uh stuff that is kind of darker and, and also kind of more unique thank you Thank you. Yeah. Uh, I would I would agree. I, I would agree in a lot of ways. Um, I would, I'm not sure that I would, I don't know. I don't know whether or not I would say, you know, it's literary or what is or what isn't literary, um, which is interesting because it's a really, it's a difficult line to cross because, you know, is beloved literary? Yeah, I would definitely say so. Um, so, um, but yeah, I would, I, li I like the definition of socially relevant. Well, and, th and really thanks did. for clarifying that too, because uh, like again, w uh, one of the things I talk to a lot about with writers is, um, you know, th things like this literary genre, horror, thriller. These are just artificial marketing terms that help exactly. connect with audiences. Um, and beloved is a really great example because it's like one of the best ghost stories I've ever read. <laughs> right? <laughs> How do you right. like, or like Underground Railroad? Like that was one of exactly. the. You know, like that's that's a thriller. That's the, in a, in a way. Well, like it's, right. you know, it's a it's a western in a way. Like it's it's like it right. has, like, has a lot of different kinds of tropes that it explores. Um, and um, I only bring this up because when when I think about like your your quality of writing is very, it's very high. So it's it's not. So when I say literary, when I say you're not literary, I'm not saying you're not a literary writer. <laughs> what, I'm, what I'm saying is like for people that are, are like jumping into your work for the first time, this isn't um, your, the conventional kind of book that you'd find on literary fiction shelves. And I think exactly. that in a really good way. And that's part right. of it. Yeah. Thank but you. Yeah. Talk, so talk about some of the stories that you have in the anthology. Oh, well. <laughs> talk about the talking um, rat. Okay, so I'm actually going to have to do a little bit of, <laughs> let me go back for just a second. So let me find, I need to find the TLC of it. So this might be a good time to pause things. So give me just a second. All right. So while Cheshire is uh, looking that up, I'm going to remind everybody uh, you're listening to Thrill Seekers Radio. We're part of, the, part of Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. And this is a trademark copyrighted podcast solely owned by Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, LLC. 
Uh, I'm Alex Dolan, and just as a bit of housekeeping, you can listen to this interview with Jessia Burke, author of Let's Play, Let's Play White and the novel The Strange Crimes of Little Africa. Um, on uh, this and all other episodes of the show can be seen on alexdolan.com. That's www.alexdolan.com. Um, Cheshire, did, did I give you enough time to, did I filibuster enough for you? <laughs> Not quite. <laughs> Do you have the book in front of you? Do you have the book in front of you? I don't, I don't, I don't, because I, I read it, um, I, uh, oh, people can slap me for this, I read the Kindle version. So. Oh, you know what, that's a good point. I can actually pull up the Kindle version, too. Yeah. Because I'm just trying to get the, uh, some of the stories in it so that I can talk about them. Because, like, I wrote this book in 2011, maybe it was published. And we're so. talking about this as kind of a jumping off point because I want to talk about um, the strange crimes of Little Africa, too, um, and about the kind of the work that you're doing now. Um, right. While you're looking up, you also have the distinction of being blurbed by my favorite, my dad's favorite poet, one of my favorite poets, Nikki Giovanni. And um, how did how did that happen? How did that come about? Well, um, ironically enough, and I have I have I have managed to pull it up now, so we're good. Um, ironically enough, with um, Nikki Giovanni, I wrote her. You know, I'd seen her speak. I love, absolutely love her work. And I just wrote her and I sent her a copy and I was like, do you, you know, could you, do you mind, you know, blurbing this for me? And, um, you know, she sent me back this long letter, you know, telling me, you know, comparing me to um, Toni Morrison. And, you know, I was like, oh, holy cow, really? Like, really? This was, this was kind of the moment. You know, many writers have moments where they're like, I may have made it. Now, that is relative to oneself, right? Because, you know, obviously, you know, you know, I'm not well known by any stretch of the imagination. But, you know, for, you know, for um, Nikki Giovanni to say, you know, you, you know, you're doing great stuff. She compared me to Octavia Butler and Tom Morrison. And I was like, and those are, you know, especially Octavia Butler is, you know, it's, it's really great to hear from somebody that you really, really respect. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, for, for those who aren't reading Octavia Butler, if you listen to the show, go, go out and read Octavia, Octavia Butler. Absolutely go out and read Octavia Butler. Are you thinking they should start with Kindred? Would I start with Kindred? I would start with Kindred. I, okay. I really would because Butler can, you know, it, 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 once you get to some of her newer works, you know, she can, you, you kind of have to work up to some of the things like fledgling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, all right. Now let's dig into some stories. Okay, great. So I do have several stories. Um, so um, I don't know which one you would like to talk about, but um, I guess Walter and the Three-Legged King. That's the one with the talking rat, uh, and it's basically about a, a black man in the 1980s who is struggling with, you know, not being able to have a job, but he also has, um, he has a rat problem. And uh, his <laughs> rat problem, <laughs> his rat problem actually manifests in a way that um, relates, and I don't want to give away the story too much, but relates to, you know, him needing to 
either figure out whether he's going to acquiesce, as in take jobs um, that are beneath him, or, you know, if he needs, if he's willing, or if he wants to continue to fight and resist, you know, the kind of society has placed him in where he, you know, in the position that he's in. Right. And and for the record, I I'm, I mainly just want to give listeners a little taste of the 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 premises of of some of your stories because w- when I read Let's Play White, it just was it was so for me it was so refreshing because like the the ideas the concepts were so new behind your stories and your like your voice is awesome that I just like more people should be reading these so I just wanted to like like give people a taste of how how unique the story ideas are so they're like thank you yeah thank you thank you so um I guess one of the other stories um I make people do bad things um is about a <laughs> it's about a woman named Madame Sinclair. Now, this is a woman, this one's based um, on a real character. And she was a woman um, who was a numbers runner in the 1920s. And um, she was a badass in real life. <laughs> and so basically, the story itself is about she as, um, she, she, in the story, she runs a brothel first. And so she finds this little girl, one of her, um, one of the women that work for her in her brothel, um, has a little girl. The little girl, she finds out that the little girl can make people do bad things. As in, she can touch people and make them do what she wants them to do. So she kind of starts using this little girl as a hitman. Yeah. And this begins, yeah, this begins to, like, this begins to get a little too, um, one, she feels really bad about what she's doing, even as a numbers runner, even as, you know, but uh, a, you know, a woman who runs a brothel, she still cares about the people. And so, but not only does she begin to, you know, feel bad about it, it begins to get really dangerous for her. How do you control a, you know, a child that is this, um, that is this powerful? And so she's kind of running against, you know, she's kind of running up against what she should do. And what she does decide to do may, you know, um, May, uh, may sit uneasy with uh, many of your readers, uh, uh, listeners, excuse me. I, I, I don't think many of my listeners, but, but maybe other people. Oh, really? <laughs> maybe people that, that are interested in, in cozy mysteries, but that's, I don't okay. think those, those okay. are the people that listen to this. People, people like weird stuff on this show, so. Um, okay, well, that's good to know. <laughs> that's um, good to know. But, you, you know, I, when I read that story, that was um, – I, I was interested in that, and actually, I wanted to talk the, about this in context of the strange crimes, a little, the strange crimes, a little Africa, because mm-hmm. you, you write about historical figures sometimes, yes. and and I yes. wanted to know, like, do you find that? Do you find there there's an additional challenge of that of of doing justice to somebody who actually? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, there is a challenge, and I think it's specifically because I generally, when I'm doing, when I'm writing stuff that's historical, I really love to use as much as I can um, real people. But I do run into some um, challenges because it's like, okay, so I don't want this, I want this person to look as dynamic as I feel she is. But I'm also dealing with mostly black women and or black characters. And I don't want to create any more stereotypes 
person are already there, if yeah. that makes sense. Totally. You know, so I want to I want to make sure that I'm putting them in a I don't want I don't want to say a positive light if they weren't, but I do want to say I don't want to make them any more negative than what one they were, and two, you know, with society stereotypes around black women and a black people, I want to make sure that you know I'm 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 writing around those and not using them and relying on them. Yeah, it's, I mean, it sounds like it's kind of a tightrope, and it is. Yeah, and like in a, I, I think about this. I, I was starting to do, um, I was starting to do research a while ago on uh, a woman named Mary Ellen Pleasant. Who uh, mm-hmm. are you? Are you familiar with her? No, not not so really. She, she was in uh, in nineteenth century San Francisco. She also kind of ran a brothel. She was like she was a black woman in 19th century San Francisco and arguably the most powerful person in the city. And there oh, was nice. a okay. weird trial that played out between her and uh, the most corrupt Senator in U S history, um, who was a Senator from Nevada who happened to live in San Francisco, but she kind of like you described in your story, she, she ran, um, she ran a couple brothels, but she actually like, mm-hmm. she cared about, and she basically used a lot of people that came through there that were her employees as kind of her pawns. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, because that was just sort of the nature of how you, how you needed to get by, and right. uh, and so this girl that was kind of her ward ended up getting married to the senator, and um the the girl had had mental health problems and the senator you know it's just this this really weird zoo of a of a trial that happened in the 1880s um but i was so the more i got to know this this woman mary ellen pleasant i would go into libraries and the people in the law the local law library in san francisco would be like oh i'm so happy somebody's like digging up info on her because she was such an amazing person and they would bring out like her diary for me to read <laughs> right oh, wow. where, where she like wrote recipes in pencil and uh and i would get so into it and i think yeah i walked away from it because um part of it was like i wasn't sure if i was the right person to be telling the story and part of it was like there was you know i was just in the challenge of writing period like I was, I right. going to capture the period correctly, and right. um, a lot of my stuff is um, it just in in modern America, and I I, right. I I always think about that in terms of well, if I were to write a historical character, how would I, like could I effectively capture not only the essence of who they were, but the essence of what that culture was exactly. at the time, and exactly. I, I would think that would be enormously challenging. It, it absolutely is. Um, an example is, okay, so the character that um, we're talking about, Madison St. Clair, also appears in my novel, The Strange Crimes of Little Africa. Um, and so that novel is about, um, it's about a black woman um, who is a, she kind of becomes a, a, a amateur sleuth, right? Um, right? Her dad's the first traffic cop um, on the force. Um, it's sometime, sometime around 1920 again. And um, basically her best character, her best friend is Zora Neale Hurston, right? right? And so at, at one point there is a scene where the two have to make a decision about whether or not, like they have to save themselves. 
And so they have someone in front of them and they have to make a decision about whether or not we're going to kill this person to save ourselves. Uh, and um, they they really do have to struggle with this. But I was I was you know and Zora Neale Hurston character being the most dynamic like she was you know Zora Neale Hurston in real life was a spitfire right and uh, you know I, I I saw that she would probably in real life not hesitate to make this <laughs> this call. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but however is that true and do I really want the historical figure of Zora Neale Hurston to be you know deciding to kill someone so I literally had to you know make the decisions about you know okay so how am I going to play you know how am I going to how am I going to lay this out without hurting the image of somebody that was you know that's really important historically so yeah how do you how do you take somebody who was clearly a badass and uh, right. and 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 like that that's always the a dilemma that i find with other writers too like how like do you quote soften them up to be more palatable right. for the readers or you just lay right. it out the way it was um, right exactly exactly and it's 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 a fine editorial call either way but mm-hmm. you know if, if the story works but um but yeah right. it's like i i that's that was sort of what I was running into in, in different projects too. And also probably why I've shied away from historical characters. But so the, the book, the strange crimes of little Africa. Um, so this takes place in the 1920s around the Harlem Renaissance. Um, what kind of research did you do to, to be able to capture that, that feeling? Oh, wow. I, I definitely went to Harlem and it really does. I went to Harlem. I spent quite a bit of time there. Um, I went to museums and to the archives and did all kinds of research, you know, trying to at least get my head into the space, you know, as much as possible, you know, and it wasn't hard to believe kind of walking um, around, you know, Harlem. It wasn't hard to kind of, you know, immerse myself in the idea of what 1920s look like because a lot of the buildings and everything are still the same. Right. And so I kind of, you know, went along, you know, the streets that I wanted to write about and where would she have, you know, where, where would she be at this time? What does it look like? What's happening with the prisons? You know, and there, you know, I found some really interesting stuff that I could write about, like the prisons, like actual, actually doubled for like feeding, I'm sorry, not the prisons, the jails you know, doubled for, you know, homeless shelters, not necessarily homeless shelters, but they would feed sometimes the homeless. <laughs> you know, they're really interesting things, you know, that were happening around that time, you know, and um, with, you know, with the air and with kind of the characters that I were trying, was trying to create. Um, the title of the book, The Strange Crimes of Little Africa, I lifted straight from, you know, a uh, newspaper article that literally talked about the strange crimes that were happening in Harlem at the time that they called little Africa. So I didn't realize Harlem was ever called little Africa. So this is like, like how separated (laughs) I am from, from the past. (laughs) Um, Well, so let's, let's talk about this. So in, so you're talking about jails being doubling as, um, almost community centers to care for the homeless. Um, what other, um, I feel like in, in my head, when I think about that time in Harlem, like it seems like it would have been such a different place than Harlem is today. Um, yeah. Like what do you, what did you find out that would surprise people 
Uh, oh gosh. Well, the gel being one, um, the I guess another another is I found out uh, so much information about like the 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 way that the police were. Um, sorry about. The way that the police... Okay, I'll start over. No, so some no, of the things that I, it's this <laughs> improvisational tone that makes the, the interview so special. <laughs> oh, okay, <laughs> we, we can flub all we want. Yeah, it, it makes right. it real. Yeah. <laughs> so so um, I guess some of the things I found is how corrupt the police are. I mean, I guess you expect that. You know, you really do expect it. But at the same time, you know, the police went about ensuring that certain, you know, certain groups didn't have access to, um, and not just the police, like this is the government as a whole. You know, these things were really, really, I mean, even the way that we're segregated now, it of course was so much worse. And, you know, you would have little boroughs where you would have the black people here, or you would have the, um, the Irish there. You know, and these people, oddly enough, did not have as many problems unless, until, until, you know, the government needed them to have problems, if that makes sense. So, you know, when you have groups of people that are working together, they're harder to control than what they are if you have them separate. Okay. So, um, it would, it was, it was, it's just, it's just fascinating in a lot of ways to look at the way that. So much of the way we know the world now was constructed and not natural. Yeah. It's created so that there is as much division as possible, you know, rather than it being just a natural state that, you know, black scenarios hate each other, you know, no, it's not natural. It's, It's created. So. Well, I want to go back for a little bit. So you re- you brought up an interesting, you said something interesting, which was the, like, they didn't have problems until the government kind of needed them to have problems. They, there, yeah, there, there isn't, yeah, there isn't a, um, and this is not necessarily just for the research that I've done for uh, Harlem Renaissance. I have a master's in African-American studies. Okay. So um, one of the, so, and this is across the board what you'll find is there's so much division that um, happens because of work and because of there being limited jobs and because jobs will, you know, jobs and um, will do things like promote whites and ensure that, so they may not be paying them much and they may be using whites you know, so the Irish, um, the Italians, they may be using them, you know, and not paying them much. But what they do is they give them a, a position over black so that at least you are above them. And this is a reason to self-segregate, if that makes sense. It does make sense. So yeah. I segregate myself from blacks because I'm better than them. I can, I can be the poorest man in the, in the world, but what I'm not is black. Yeah, And so when you have these types of divisions, then that means that you can control, I can pay a white person a little bit more, that makes him naturally want to segregate himself, one, for the people that, that are making less and that are visually different from him, and two, it can make him feel 
as if, you know, at least I'm not, at least I'm not the black man. At least I'm not the black man. Yeah. And so that creates divisions among people. It is, like I said, it is not a natural state for people to hate each other. It is a constructed state to ensure that people can maintain control. And whether those people are um, government forces, whether they are, um, you know, jobs, because who wants, who wants a union that has a group, a collective group that comes together? No. If you have black and whites fighting together against a, um, an employer, then that employer is weaker. Mm-hmm. But if you can segregate them, then they, then they, you know, they're easier to control. And we went on a little bit off topic, but there you go. No, <laughs> no, actually, I no, no, but I, actually, I love the, the. We do this all the time on the show. So, okay. <laughs> and it's, um, um, and you know, it's it's funny because I like I think about what's playing out today and how it's just such a cartoonish theatrical version of what you're talking about, and just how absolutely like how. Um, I almost feel like people are telling us we're being manipulated while they're manipulating us. Um, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so you know, the, this I think the sad thing is that that hasn't gone anywhere. Um, um, but I think that's that's one of the things that always fascinates me about writing about reading pieces that are set in a different era is that um, the, I think this is. Uh, like in the TV show Mad Men, I didn't I didn't stay with it for more than a couple seasons, but I did I liked the couple seasons that I saw. But the yeah. that I thought made it interesting was seeing um, the themes that are still very present today. And and for mm-hmm. Mad Men, it's like a, they play a lot with themes of sexism. But um, right. But I think like for you know culturally, like we've moved a little bit but not as far as we should have. And it's like, I, it's interesting and, to read different periods to show how, yeah. how that is a through line of, of how we've grown as a civilization. Right. Right. Absolutely. And we could definitely see it playing out today. You know, when people are afraid of jobs, <laughs> I mean, that is a yeah. really big one. When people have jobs, when people have work, they are less likely to want to, you know, fight. Right. But yeah. when they're when they when they fear jobs, when the economy's not doing great, when you know, when you know, you fear things like immigrants coming in to take your job, then then all of a sudden you have like these fears manifest in a way that becomes very violent. Uh and um that violence often is against you know people who have less power. Those people tend to be racial minorities. You know they tend to be immigrants and um, racially minority, racial minority immigrants um, and poor people. These are the people that are generally affected. But if you can tell you know poor people generally poor white people that the other poor people, poor immigrants, are coming to take your job, then who who else who else who, who becomes the enemy? Not necessarily the job makers, which we should be angry with, but it is, you know, you know, I can't, what, what can I do as a little person to help to hurt someone who, you know, is so big that they, you know, that they can employ me. I don't want to hurt them. I want them to employ me. Instead, I'm going to hurt the people who I can. And those are going to be the poor racial minority people. Yeah. 
that that makes a lot of sense. And in, in some cases, people campaign to build big, beautiful walls so that those people can't you know, <laughs> come they in, they take, take jobs, <laughs> and yeah, you know, like in yeah. and rape yeah. and murder people, and the same stories yeah. have all been told for for centuries about for yeah, yeah. forever. However, yeah. it just continues to recycle and to repeat itself because there's still fears are, again, they're fears that we teach. We can control people by maintaining, by, we can control people by selecting their fears. What do you fear? What can we ensure that you fear? Yeah. And now we can control you through those fears. Yeah. Well, and this is what intrigues me about about your writing specifically, too, to kind of just bring it back a little bit, is that I think it's interesting to to use like the you know some of your some of your stories could be considered horror, some could be science fiction, some fantasy, noir, and uh, whatever whatever marketing label you want to slap on it. But right. you know the um, but you know I'm I th- I think it's really interesting to read your work because it kind of creates this forum that can be a springboard for discussion. Um, and, and the thing is for people listening, if you don't, if you don't want to spring forward for discussion, just read the stories. They're awesome. It's like, just read Cheshire's work. Cause it's like, you, you don't even have to, that's the beauty of, of great storytelling is like, you don't even have to be aware of the social impact of it. You can like read it for the fact that it's an awesome story and that let, let the social impact part of it seep in later um right um but i uh what do you what are you working on now so right now um i just um finished a well i just had published a short story called uh say she toy um which was published by um, apex uh, okay. magazine and um it is it is it is an interesting story i actually would love to know what you think about it if you ever get a chance Look, it's actually relatively short. Um, it's um, based in the future, and it's about an android um, called Chloe. And basically, Chloe is um, charged with taking on the pain of um, taking. <laughs> so basically, she's an android created to look real, and they use her for people to ex- to to play out their anger on. So they're hoping that. Someone, let's say, um, who's racist and wants to come and beat a black woman, they can beat Chloe instead of taking it out into the public. I so they're think... hoping. No, go, please keep going. So they're hoping that she eliminates racism and sexism and all of these types of things by simply existing. So that when you have an android, the android can take on, you know, whatever aggressions that you want to take out on humanity, you'll take it out on the android, a black female android, instead of um, real black women, for instance. And so it's basically, it's basically that, that, you know, what happens when society decides that, you know, anger and violence is innate, and instead of trying to control it, we instead allow it to foster. And so, that that story has 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 been upsetting to some people. I will admit that, um, very upsetting. However, you know, I'm working on. I'm getting ready to start outlining a novel, 
that exist in this world. Um, so that's what I'm doing right now. You send me this story. And back, like back months ago when we were initially planning this interview, I think you sent me the okay. story. And I thought it was haunting. And I thought um, part of, I don't know, I guess, you know, anything with, it's it's easy to upset at people. So, so like, <laughs> I, yeah, I guess I can understand like somebody reading this. and But I, I think the what I took away from it was, basically dehumanizing people is never a good thing and, and, and wow. can tend to bring out the worst in people. So, yeah. um, and in a weird way, do you, do you watch the show black mirror? I don't, I've heard so much about it though. There's, there's a specific episode. This isn't the, the themes that this episode deals with is very similar to the world that you're creating. Um, not very similar, but it's similar in that um, it dehumanizes people and it brings out the kind of the, their worst sadistic impulses. Um, okay. And uh, it's an episode called, uh, called black museum. And it's at the end of the most recent um, season, which I think might be season four. Um, it's a great, um, it's, it's, you know, it. What was the, what was the name of it? One more time. Black museum. Black museum. Got it. Um, but basically it, it taught, you know, like the main, it goes through a lot of themes and like, it's, it's basically skewering the pharmaceutical industry as well. But the, right. um, you know, the big takeaway is like, yeah, if you like Chloe, like if you have something that people don't see as a facsimile of a human being, but not mm -hmm. really human, it's uncanny enough that some people's worst natures can come out. Um, and right. I think like it's it's upsetting, but it it's upsetting for for the right reasons because unfortunately I think that um, people can be like that. I, right. I, yeah, and so I, I right. thought it was it yeah. I I thought no, the no, story no, please, was amazing. Go please go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no. I, I I was just I was I was pretty much done. But I was saying that was my takeaway from the story because you said you you'd asked. I wonder what you'd think about it, and I. Um, but I loved it for that reason because it kind of like it taps into what unfortunately is a very real and ugly part of human nature. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it makes it, it normalizes it. Right. 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 Well, I'm glad to hear what you thought about it. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so you're developing a whole book based on, on this universe. So, so yeah, on that universe, I'm um, developing an entire book based on that universe, which is a little different for me, to be honest. Uh, but um, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm really excited about it. I'm really excited to see where I can take Chloe. Okay. Yeah. Actually, I was, I was very eager to, to read more. Um, and so for, for this, for other, if people wanted to find out more about you, um, you have the anthology Let's Play White. You have you've published a lot of different places, so I won't go through the list of everything. And you've got the novel uh, Strange Crimes of Little Africa, and then you have this new novel coming out. If people wanted to to dig into your catalog, what, what's the best way for them to find out more about you? Ah, uh, let's see. I, I guess. Well, of course, there's my website um, www.cheshireburke.com. Um, and uh, I guess if I were, if I, where I would start with my writing would definitely be Let's Play White. 
Um, if you're more interested in novel Linksworth, The Strange Crimes of Little Africa, it absolutely is a thriller. Um, and, uh, and I think more of a traditional one. So, uh, well, maybe not quite traditional. That's probably not fair to say. But, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think I would want either one of those two things. Or there's a lot, like if you research me, there's a lot of short stories that you can find for free. That way you can dig in to see, oh, do I really like her? And then kind of take the plunge. So everyone, you, you have your homework assignment to go and start with Let's Play White. Um, you do. Yeah. Um, Chesha, it's been great to, to talk to you. Um, I just want to remind everybody we've been talking to Chesha Burke and um, I love your writing. I, I like, I, I, I'm actually really excited that you're developing a novel based on that short story. Cause I, I think uh, I, I will, would definitely love to have you back on when that's, when that's out. I'd love to come back. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, <laughs> thanks for making the, making the time. Everybody go read Chesha Burke's, uh, Let's, Let's Play White and her other uh, short stories. You can find them. Just Google her name and stories will come up for you. Uh, if anyone's curious about me, my name's Alex Dolan. And you can see, uh, you can hear this interview and all other interviews of Thrill Seekers at www.alexdolan.com. Uh, again, that's A-L-E-X-D-O-L-A-N.com. <laughs> Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.